probably the most common thing I see is plantar fasciitis. Yeah. And the standard of care is multiple rounds of cortisone shots or this kind of physical therapy approach that is, you know, useless, frankly, because the therapist will say you need 37 sessions of physical therapy. After right. the third session, the patients just say, I can do this on my own. Right. Um, and so like I'll utilize my gate lab and I'll find some imbalances in, say, the pelvis or as I spend more time with them, they say, oh, you know, I did have a quad tear in the past, right. which ultimately led to tight hamstrings. And, you know, you can really see the chain disrupted and really have even seen patients that um, they don't even directly address their plantar fasciitis. They don't want shots and things like that. So they really work on gait and, and therapy and their plantar fasciitis goes away. If you've ever asked yourself, how can I get better clinical outcomes for my patients? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Rehab Links Secrets to Success podcast, where I will be interviewing experts and teaching you how to access the best technologies, strategies, resources, and solutions so you can get the best outcomes that your patients deserve. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Rehab Links Secrets to Success podcast. I'm Lisa Chase, your host, and today I'd love to welcome Dr. Barnett to our show. Hello. Hi. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Me too. Uh, um, so this, uh, so Dr. Barnett is a, a foot and ankle uh, surgeon and specialist. And him and I started working together, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago. You had found us, I believe, online. You had just moved to the area and you were looking to collaborate, you know, with other healthcare providers. And we got to talking and our philosophies are very similar. And you do some amazing gait analysis work that I'm super interested in. And I've been able to come to your office and see how you're working, you know, with your patients. So I'm excited for our audience to hear more about what you're doing um, in the community and to help uh, patients uh, get better, um, you know, with some kind of really cool technology that you're using. So, you know, welcome. And why don't we kind of get started and just why don't you sure. tell our audience a little bit about your background and your approach? Sure. Yeah. So I'm Zach Barnett, uh, originally from Texas, um, went to school in Philly at Temple and uh, then Louisville for residency. And Louisville was really interesting because it was a level one trauma center and it was the only one at the time from Nashville down uh, or up to Indiana uh, at IU because Kentucky had lost their kind of level one status. So, you know, we did probably 15, 20 surgeries a day and it was just high volume kind of reconstructive trauma surgery, really, you know, foot and ankle focus, which tends to get kind of the backseat on what I would call polytraumas. Someone gets a bad shoulder, pelvis, and the foot kind of gets ignored. So that was a great program because they really involved foot and ankle to really kind of treat things that would often be overlooked. So I got great training from a surgical side. Um, and then when I got out in practice, I realized that it, there was a lot more need than just the surgical stuff, that there was a big disconnect. It would either be doctors that were very conservative, but really to the point of like having no knowledge of surgical stuff uh, versus maybe some like 
orthopedic groups and stuff that you'd walk in and they'd say, okay, you need surgery or go figure out on your own. So I just felt like there was a big void, you know, that there was a lot of other specialties doing really good work. People like yourself and even some kind of sports medicine chiropractors that were doing some conservative stuff. Uh, but then there just wasn't a kind of the total package. And so I really started diving more into, and that kind of led me into the root cause of stuff. So I started really read a few of these really intricate textbooks on gait analysis, which I had gotten a lot of gait training in, in med school, but just not really in practice. And no one looked at that. And so, you know, I would do these surgeries that I would notice people were walking the same as as before the surgery. And so the outcomes just weren't coming out like I wanted, like someone that has an ankle instability and keeps spraining their ankle. Um, and you can tighten those ligaments up with, uh, you know, bracing surgically. But if they're still walking on the outside of their foot, then that surgical correction fails or they just get referred pain somewhere else. And, you know, so it just kind of felt like that my approach to gait was really more surgical to kind of do some evaluations before surgery and then after surgery. But then that kind of led me to uh, the path of really focusing on the preventative and stuff, kind of avoiding surgery and utilizing surgery as truly a last ditch effort. Now, some people may in fact need it, but I think it was, it was nice to be able to give options. And, and frankly, there are, you know, a lot of circumstances that would seem very black and white surgical that are not actually was very interested. There was a podcast from probably the, the, the pioneers of my field that were at, you know, Green Bay Packers team doctor, hospital special surgery, some of these big institutes. And, you know, they really look outside the box. And there was a study that came out of Finland that people with really displaced ankle fractures. So the standard of care in America is you got to plate it, put screws in it, non-weight bearing. And it just seemed like if you don't do that, you are not following standard of care. Well, the study out of Finland came out that they basically non-opt all of these displaced ankle fractures and let them walk on it basically day one. And what they found is that bones kind of kind of helped set themselves and they had better clinical outcomes. And I want to say the study went all the way up to 10 years, better wow. outcomes than someone that surgically fixed it. So even with this, this podcast of these experts was like, you know, we really have to rethink how we do things because even something that seemed entirely black and white, in fact, is not. So, you know, in my practice, I'll see a lot of arthritis. And I'll see arthritis clinically, you know, like someone having pain, but then the x-ray is very minimal. Or I'll see someone with huge, you know, bone spurs and arthritis and they have no pain. And so obviously someone with bad arthritis that has no pain, we wouldn't have to do anything for it. So all of a sudden it made me think, yeah, when things become symptomatic, you've got to address it. You got to look at the underlying problem. Like I tend to see like if someone... Um, you know, jumps into a knee surgery, and now they start shifting weight to the other leg. That may, in fact, flare up their arthritis. However, you do something like all the amazing stuff y'all do at Back to Normal, and you really balance their gait, you work on muscle, and all of a sudden that force comes off that non-operative leg, and then all of a sudden it just seems like those flare-ups, you know, go away. And yeah. so to me, it's so much of a thought of of really getting to the bottom of the root cause. I mean, I'd say probably the most common thing I see is plantar fasciitis. Yeah. And the standard of care is multiple rounds of cortisone shots, 
or this kind of physical therapy approach that is, you know, useless, frankly, because the therapist will say you need 37 sessions of physical therapy. After right. the third session, the patients just say, I can do this on my own. Right. Um, and so like I'll utilize my gait lab and I'll find some imbalances in, say, the pelvis or as I spend more time with them, they say, oh, you know, I did have a quad tear in the past. Right. which ultimately led to tight hamstrings. And, you know, you can really see the chain disrupted and really have even seen patients that um, they don't even directly address their plantar fasciitis. They don't want shots and things like that. So they really work on gait and, and therapy and their plantar fasciitis goes away. Yep. Um, so I've kind of, you know, built a practice around really finding out the cause but again, you know, offering things like maybe shockwave or laser or things that can help the symptoms. But even at that, when I stress to patients, it's like we got to figure out truly where this is coming from, because I don't think plantar fasciitis is an isolated incident unless yeah. someone falls wrong and maybe flares it up. It's right. generally over time. It's generally, you know, caused from those muscle imbalances. And so by the time I'm seeing it, I'm expressing to them, you have problems that have probably been ongoing for a while and you just did not recognize it. And so just simply doing, you know, a masking agent um, is not only unsafe, but it's also not helpful. Yeah. And that is just, it's so critical. And we see that all the time, you know, with plantar fasciitis, it, it, you know, everybody thinks, okay, just stretch the plantar fascia. Right. But, mm -hmm. you know, or if somebody has, when I worked on the tour, I, I think twice in my career, I saw an acute tear of the plantar fascia. Well, you know, it was likely that it was this chain reaction, right? And then it was just the final straw that broke. And it really is the whole kinetic chain and how that stress is basically getting loaded into that area. So I love how you look at the whole kinetic chain and the gait analysis. So now let's kind of shift and talk a little bit about the gait analysis and what information that really is providing you to help get to the root cause for the patient. Well, so it kind of like a, it's similar with GateLab, kind of how I do orthotics. I've talked to a lot of biomechanics experts that are more PhD driven, more educational and not clinical. And even with them, a lot of it is subjective because yes, you can see those objective patterns, but what you make of it and what you do with that varies so much that it really is kind of someone with that experience. And even like when it comes to orthotics, because, uh, you know, you'll be able to make an orthotic that exactly fix someone's foot. And you could say objectively, that's what you need. But if it doesn't feel right and someone doesn't wear it, then, you know, it, so there's an art to it. So a lot of this gait, I think there's a lot of insight that is needed. I actually have talked to a lot of uh, like institutions that do these gait analysis, but they don't, they don't use it properly oftentimes because maybe someone that's doing the test may be more of a, you know, computer scientists. And right. so they don't have the other parts of it. So I think a lot of it does come with, you know, me having a lot of experience with sports injuries, sports surgeries, you know, things like that to kind of see that side of things as well. But a lot of times, you know, what I'll do with the gate is a piece of the puzzle. It's not kind of only doing that. You know, I'll look at you know, the exam, how much motion the joints have. For example, you know, some people have a big toe joint arthritis, but yet when you bend their toe, 
without weight on it. It's very flexible, but functionally it loads wrong and it, it, it mimics that joint stiffness. So with that, you can actually do a lot of correction, even with physical therapy to get that joint from jamming because it's not actually, you know, a clinical, uh, arthritis. It's just more the way the foot is functioning. So gait is more functional. So, you know, there's compensation involved. So if someone has torn a hip muscle, then, you know, they're probably going to compensate in the foot just so their brain tells them, hey, you got to keep walking. So they might have, a, you know, a, a gait issue that their leg is swinging. But and those things, you know, almost can be caught by the naked eye. I think what's really great about the gait analysis that I do there be a, a sensor kind of like a gyroscope that sits on the lower back and it looks at like say the pelvis in 3d. So how the pelvis is moving as you walk, you could take a pelvic x-ray and you might see it tilting or something like that, but you don't really know how the pelvis is functioning. And so same with those devices, you can put them over the knee joint, the ankle joint, and you can actually put someone through walking and see how that joint is functioning. Um, you know, sometimes people will get issues because maybe they have a little bow legged, but then the joint itself looks fine. But in gait, you notice their joint isn't functioning properly. So, you know, a knee replacement wouldn't inherently work for that because it's not so much arthritis as just the way the knee is, is functioning improperly and stuff. So, you know, the gate does a good job of looking at those structures kind of in, in space. I'll use a plate system that you can walk across, and it actually shows how the foot moves. Um, and kind of with someone with experience with it, like myself, I can really see, is that something the foot is compensating for something else? Or is the foot simply doing that because of arthritis or, you know, a high arch foot, therefore the rest of the body has to compensate. So, you know, I kind of tailor it to, you know, I'll look at an x-ray at the foot, like someone that has scoliosis, you can tell via an x-ray. So I can tell if someone has a flat foot or a high arch or some arthritis with a in-house x-ray, but really like a perfect example, I'll give my wife has a really high arch. Mm-hmm. However, she kind of, the phrase I use is she over pronates. Right. So she was getting plantar fasciitis. However, on an x-ray, she had a very high arch. When I first treated her, um, I only had the x-ray there. And I'm like going, huh, that's it's more unusual to have a high arch with plantar fasciitis. Um, And I would never have picked up that she kind of overpronated. However, when I put her more recently on the gate lab, it showed how much pronation her foot actually was going through. So Hmm. even though she had what would seem structurally the opposite, she had so much flexibility in the joints that she was actually over pronating. And so, you know, that would defy what normal medicine would look at. Cause again, what determines what you do is kind of the bone structure. However, how the foot function is often different. So it really gives us a lot of, a lot of insight. You know, we had a patient together that we walked through and because they had had some hip muscle issues, you could see how the foot was compensating. However, a lot of times I'll do the gait lab for someone that only tells me they have a foot problem is as I start to look at it and say, well, it doesn't look like your quad is firing properly. They'll say, oh, you know what? I did have, you know, this condition as a kid and it's always been a problem. And so sometimes it opens up a conversation 
to a root cause that they may have never even thought about. Well, and I, I love what you're saying because, you know, when it comes to orthotics, most practitioners only look at the foot and it's static, right? It's casted. They're looking at, you know, a couple teeny little degrees, right? And they're not even looking about uh, looking at what happens all the way up the chain. And it really is a chain reaction. And sometimes, as you know, you need to put a corrective device right in the in the mm -hmm. shoe to help. And other times it's coming from someplace else. So I love right. You know, I loved how, you know, you were looking at that. It was really the first time I had worked with a physician that like was looking at that whole kinetic chain before just like putting a device, you know, in their shoe. So we're really right. coming up and being able to strategize. And we've had several patients together where you've sent me, hey, here's what I'm seeing in the gait analysis. And I'm like, okay, here's what I'm seeing. And we're kind of going back and forth. And it's like that information and the way you're thinking about things functionally versus just static, I think is really unique. So I love well, that. It, it is like a collaboration. So to me, I'll see something on gate and how I interpret it with you may say, hey, why don't you do a few sessions with the notion of, okay, the, the pelvis is tilting a little too much here and it might be that muscle. But again, you know, it's not always like, uh, unfortunately, a lot of docs, it's like they give you a diagnosis right off the bat and then here's your one treatment option. You have no other options and we don't have to tweak it. It's like, you need a surgery. This is what you need. Call me when you want it. Yeah. Where with me, I might see something on the pelvis and I might tell you, you know, I think the rectus femoris muscle may be involved. You may work on that. And it's kind of like how even researchers do, you know, they set out with a hypothesis, but they discover something in the investigation that opened up a whole new avenue. That's kind of how I feel like it with a lot of these things, you know, the lower extremities are so complex in reality, you know, there's... Yeah. 33 tendons crossing the ankle joint. And that's just with the foot that sometimes it's not always black and white. It's kind of, Hey, you know, we're going to work the upper chain, lower chain. And, and sometimes it does take some constant collaboration. That's what I loved about the Mayo Clinic is they all kind of sat around and talked and said, okay, Hey, this isn't working. You know, I don't want to plan with physical therapy that just says 20 sessions doing the exact same thing. We're not going to, learn from what we're seeing. We're just like, you're getting this hip work for 20 sessions. It's like, it really should be a collaboration. I mean, I had a military guy that they sent because they said he had a limb length discrepancy, mm -hmm. that his left leg was just shorter than the right. Inherently, you would make a lift under that. However, I did a what they call a CT scantogram and his legs were the same length. However, what we picked out is that his pelvis had a twist and a shortening to it. So yeah. instead of adding a lift under that shorter leg, I actually added a lift under the other leg and that helped pull the pelvis side down and oh. ultimately gave him an amazing result. Though it didn't seem intuitive. It's like, well, this leg looks shorter, so add a lift. But what I was doing was actually trying to pull that leg back down because he didn't actually have a leg length. He just had a pelvic issue. And so you know, we could see that on the gate lab. We could point out that, you know, hey, your pelvis is actually not moving right. And after determining that the legs were the same length, you know, you've got to do a different treatment than maybe would have initially been thought of. Wow. That's yeah, that's great. And, you know, that's like I said, it's just very unusual to find that. So I love that we can collaborate. And, you know, my philosophy is within a couple sessions, unless somebody 
you know, has really had like a surgery or big injury that we know just the natural, you know, healing time is going to take longer. I expect to see results. So if I'm not, you know, seeing the results, I'm going to start collaborating with you. And I love how, you know, you have some additional tools and just a mindset, um, you know, that can help us get there and problem solve. So that's, so that's great. So, so let's go right in now to kind of your clinical pearls. So what do you feel um, like would be your top three things that you have felt over the years has given you the best clinical outcomes? I, I think truly spending, and that's kind of why I started this practice. I had been with a venture capital group in a hospital and a multi-specialty and, you know, just not being able to pull the whole picture together. It was more try and come up with a diagnosis that seems okay, and then just start pounding out treatment. I think the focus really, the pearl has been really get to the bottom of it, uh, get to the root cause. So if someone has, you know, what perceives as a neuropathy, getting to the bottom of neuropathy, don't necessarily just throw a whole bunch of treatments at it and just hope something sticks. Because, you know, if you're doing five treatments, one of those may work, but you don't really know what you can't come off of. So next thing you know, people are on a ton of meds that may not even be working and obviously having side effects. So, you know, getting a very clear cut diagnosis, which does take more time. I do have to spend, you know, oftentimes to get a good diagnosis, even in one visit, you know, you might be spending 30, 45 minutes to, to figure that out. Yeah. I find a hard time believing with a lot of these chronic complexities that someone can look at someone for five seconds and just say, I know what's wrong. Right. I, I just don't think, you know, unless it's something very obvious, you know, I feel like, oh, an ingrown toenail. You can see right. that right. when you're dealing with musculoskeletal problems, you yeah. know, or nerve issues, kind of like you and I were working with the newbie and and trying to find kind of a lot of times with nerves. It could be coming from the lower back. It could be coming from the thigh, or there could be a foot injury that's causing the nerve. So one pearl is definitely kind of getting to the bottom of it. Yeah. Um, it just eliminates the the risk of just having something that keeps masking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, second pearl, I think, is if someone has the resources to do it, you know, put in a little bit extra a lot of things that, you know, take time to to happen and form, take time to get better. So many people will tell me, okay, I have this, what seemingly is a complex issue, just throw a cortisone shot in there. That's all I want. Well, you know, it, it's, it's probably not going to fix it. And you're just going to be back to square one, two or three months later. So I, I think there's not always the quick fix. It's kind of those commercials that, you know, you can put a machine on and now you have a six pack. Right. No, it does take some work. I think, you know, you and I both kind of pour into our patients, but I think them kind of patients understanding like, like with physical therapy, uh, especially like what you do, um, you know, trust the process. I've seen your model. It's unbelievable. You don't just have getting someone over an injury, but it's, it's also preventing so many times therapists just do that first step. Okay. You had a tendon pain. You did five sessions, eight sessions, the pain's gone, go about your merry way. Right. I do like the concept of further looking at maybe why it happened, yeah. uh, things like that. So that is a big one. Um, I had a lady who was getting better and 
planks were causing the problem. She stopped doing planks. She did what she needed to do. The pain went away. She went back to doing planks and the pain came right back. She was having a hard time saying, I have to give up planks. But in that case, she had an arthritic joint that was causing a problem. And, you know, did she, and ultimately we talked through it and she realized that that seemed a bit extreme to go through a big surgery just so she could do a plank, you know, so certain things can be as, as, as isolated as, as that versus other things like, you know, can just flare things up. So really kind of going through that process, I found the people that get better the most, you know, give it, uh, you know, time yeah. as well as even if I do, I had a lady with rheumatoid and uh, she just wanted a cortisone shot and she right. was in bad shape. And I gave her a cortisone shot kind of reluctantly and her pain got better. She right. came back a month later and said, oh my gosh, it's back. She finally agreed to kind of work through the process and what she did, it was more long-term you know, yeah. good outcomes. Absolutely. Kind of the, the third thing is really, I think, utilizing technology. Like I think you have unbelievable technology in your office. I have a lot of this stuff and it's not to be used as a crutch. I think some therapists do have technology and they don't even evaluate very good because they think they've got, you know, some kind of device that will do the work for them. But I do think done in the right setting, you know, innovative technology is really in our favor. Um, And I, and just a lot of people don't utilize it. You know, I'll do a lot of these minimal invasive surgeries and I have doctors that have done the same type of surgery for 30 years and they won't switch over yet. However, now the outcome is the same and your incision is one centimeter versus four inches. Like that makes a big difference. And, you know, the principles may be the same, but having somebody doctors and stuff that are innovative and utilize technology, like, you know, again, has been a pearl to me. I mean, I, I used to practice with only cortisone and sending to kind of halfway PT. And it seemed like I did 30, 40 plantar fascia surgeries a year. And now I see more plantar fascia and I maybe do it once or twice a year. That's right. Um, And the only difference is utilizing, you know, your technology and some of the things I have to, to get people uh, better without jumping to something extreme like surgery. Right. And then you, your outcomes are probably better at the end of the day and less recovery time, certainly, you know, and yep. trauma to the body and being under anesthesia and all the things that come along with surgery. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love those. I, 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 I think those are, um, those are excellent tips. So I know you've kind of taught, you know, whether it be teaching your patients, teaching other colleagues, what would you say that, you know, that your particular audience really appreciate? Like, are there any little, you know, things that, that you hear over and over again that, that your audience really appreciates? I'd say it kind of the concept, you know, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for life. I Similar, um, I spend the time, I, I, I just, you know, it was one of those setups where when I was working at other places, it was like, you need to see 35 patients. So all of a sudden patients were kind of put in as a number and, you know, get them out, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think spending time, because it really does take time to diagnose it, to yeah. figure out what's going on and then give them options. I think the other thing people appreciate is that I don't press any one thing. But I give a lot of options. And I really think education is the key because most of the things I see, 
that I that most doctors they want the low hanging fruit. You got yeah. an ankle fracture, I just go in and fix it. I don't have to think anything of it. Yeah. I see things that people have had issues for 10 years, 15 years. And so those are really people that are interested in knowing why it happened and then options. And I think that that is a lot of the things like anything you do. If I have a patient that has a massive bunion and they think they do want surgery, well, they might go to you and you might actually improve their their gait and actually eliminate the pain. And I've seen it happen. However, if they end up still opting for surgery, their body is just optimized for the surgery to begin with. Um, and so the rehab would be a lot better because of having that therapy. And so, you know, I think what you do, a lot of the things I do, they will always fall under the category of it can't hurt, it can only help. And, it, you know, I think people appreciate seeing those options and discussing yeah. those options, given like a really good discharge summary showing here's, you know, option A to option D, telling them how much research is behind each one and, and kind of letting them decide me giving them a but instead of i hate that approach where someone just says oh this is what you have i'm not going to explain it here's a shot come back and see me in two weeks it just right. seems like so much question of and if it works great but when it doesn't work i feel like it's even more difficult for the patient because they think they had something and because the treatment didn't work maybe they have something else Maybe I have some kind of nerve damage and it's not the case at all. It's just they haven't really done the treatment that works. So I think the time like you spend unbelievable time with your patients, it's unbelievable. And the, res the results are truly better because I also think when people can be explained what's going on, they totally understand and they kind of start taking, you know, inevitably more ownership, but not that they didn't want ownership before, but essentially now they they understand what is needed. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that you and I have talked about a lot um, is not necessarily doing uh, a treatment or an intervention because the insurance company covers it versus what the patient actually needs and would benefit most from. And, you know, we, you know, we know we've had these conversations before that, you know, that unfortunately that is kind of where a lot of medicine is. It's like, right. no, this is, you know, this is what will be covered. And therefore this is what I can recommend to you versus this is what I'm going to recommend to you because I think it's what's best for you. And, you know, so speak yeah. to that for a minute, because I know well, you have had those conversations. It really <laughs> is like for hours. on it. I know we could have like 15 podcasts. Well, yes. to me, <laughs> like, cause I take most all insurances, but right. I also do cash and cash prices are published. They're open. You know, they're very, they're there, but I don't, I've opted to not treat the patient differently with cash versus insurance. And yeah. I actually went to a residency lecture recently for a bunch of podiatrists and they got up there and the, the speaker said, okay, just to teach the residents, okay, you have plantar fasciitis. How are you going to treat this? And I basically got up there and said, well, they need, you know, in-depth workup by physical therapy. You know, they need you know, maybe laser or shockwave or, or discussing dry needling, you know, given all these kind of advanced options. And they basically were like, oh, no, give them a cortisone shot and see them back in two weeks. And I'm like, yeah, but the cortisone is the most ineffective thing. Right. And they said, well, 
you know, how are you going to make any money if you don't work that patient up more, i.e., kind of milking the insurance. And they said, well, you know, the, the approach with insurance is start really small, almost something that's less likely to work and just keep going with it. So, and I looked at it as, why don't you turn it the other way around and say, why don't we do the best treatment you can do right off the bat? Yeah. Because it doesn't matter whether that other stuff would work or not. You have something that's the most successful thing that you can do yes. for a faster recovery. And so it just, it really is like, you know, when someone comes in, sure, I can do things for them that may be very simple depending on where they're at in life, what they want to sure. do. But at least they know that even if they opted for something extremely simple, if it doesn't work in this X window of time, you probably want to move on to something better. But yeah. to me, the doctor's conversation in this residency meeting was kind of keep the patient in the dark, do something very simple, knowing that they're probably going to come back. And then that helps the insurance justify doing more and doing more, you know? And so I just don't, I don't practice that way. I want to say, Hey, this is what you have and this is why. And, you know, if that was my mother in the chair, I wouldn't be saying, Let's just give you two seconds, give you a shot, and let's just, you know, keep you in the dark. Uh, that way you're kind of forced to come back in and come back in. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about working with you because you're, <laughs> you're in that same mindset that I'm in. And I love that we're really, you know, our focus is to take care of patients, which is, you know, hard to find these days. So that's amazing. Um, well, is there anything else you would like our audience to know about you or your specialty? This is Buster Brown. For those of the, you that are listening to the podcast, I just brought my little dachshund into view. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I, I love that about your practice as well. I mean, you know, it's, I kind of like to treat kind of whole body. You know, again, I, I can't speak always on, I have doctors that I love that are functional medicine doctors, and I think they're great. And I always open those options up. You know, I, I'm very open to anything you know, new, though I may not always be able to speak on that fully, you know, being able to collaborate with people. So, I mean, that is something that everyone's going to get with me is where they lean more to. Some people love pharmaceutical meds because they think it helps and I, we can go that route. You know, other people want a more holistic approach, in which case, like, I love that and I'm learning more about it. I can tell you, you don't get any of that exposure in med school. It's right. all allopathic thought. It's kind of this cause and effect. You just see the effect and fix the, you know, kind of retroactively fixing someone where yeah. a lot of the functional medicine is looking deeper at systemic issues. So I love that approach and idea. And, you know, to me, it's the way I put my office together with, you know, having different refreshments and a couch. And I just want it to be a, a more easy environment, comfortable environment that really it's not me talking down to someone about what they did wrong and how to, you know, fix it in one regard, but kind of building a plan for each person. And I mean, again, it's like no one has a one size fits all and it, it doesn't work that way. And so, you know, I, I try and, you know, start from scratch with every person so that they, you know, besides the fact that some of the things that you and I can do just work better than what standard medicine would allow. But it also helps you build a relationship with someone that goes beyond just, okay, I'm treating your foot, you know? And yeah. so I really like to build those relationships. And, um, you know, I've never marketed my practice to be, I have some doctors that market heavily to tourists. So it's like, oh, 
you got a seashell stuck in your foot. I fix it. I never have to see you again. Right. You know, it's that kind of concept of like, okay, you know, I really like to build those relationships because, you know, I, I do feel like um, medicine is so difficult nowadays with what insurance allows and what people perceive as, as something that's needed. And, you know, I, I'll never forget, I had a car that was having maintenance done and I went to a mechanic and your, your impression on mechanics, oh, they're probably going to gouge you. And this guy was very honest. He showed me options on how to fix it quickly versus a big, huge fix. And he also said, but I don't specialize in this one area of your car, but I'm going to send you to someone that's really great. And I kind of, the whole process was so relieving because I just felt like they were honest from the start. And I feel like so many people that aren't in healthcare, they don't really know. And they're really vulnerable to us. And I think just having that ability to, you know, build that bond with someone that they know, like I truly have their best interest in mind and not just how much can I get out of insurance you know, so many people think cash would be so much more, but really when you do cost analysis, it is not at all uh, the case. It's just thinking a little bit outside of, you know, letting insurance dictate how you're treated versus someone who actually is the doctor in the field. Yeah, no, that's so true. And it really is about building those relationships, being honest, doing what's best for the for the patient and it's a collaboration, right? It's a joint effort and, and then creating that safe space, which, you know, I've been to your office and I, I, I do, you know, you feel that when you walk in with you, your staff, you know um, it's important and it really does make a difference. Like you said, patients are really vulnerable. They're hurting. They, you know, they've maybe have been misdirected. Maybe they haven't had a good experience or they're just scared, you know, about, you know, what their condition, you know, is and what it means for them for the future. So creating that environment and building that relationship, I think is really critical. Yeah. Yeah. I think patients not like there's a whole network that I never discovered before, like yourself. I have some other colleagues that, you know, do ENT and dentistry and they have the same mindset we do. You know, I'll leave it with one thing, too, is so I had a uh, a patient that came to me that was at the wound center uh, locally, and they had been going there for almost three years. And I looked at them and I gave them some extra options. So they liked those options. And so they wanted to stick with me. And I got a phone call from the wound care that basically said, we own that wound. Those are our patients. That's our business. And it really like turned me off to that concept of like, a lot of docs are not thinking about collaborating. It's like, oh, that person stole it versus, and that's just not how like you and I work. It's not like, you know, I just want to, if I can see someone day one and say, I know you can get completely better going to back to normal and you don't even need to come to me. I am more than happy that it only was one visit to do that, you know, opposed to saying, well, I better find a way to get to see them five or six more times. So I think when you have that kind of mindset of truly you want a result and you want to be able to do it as quickly as possible, it kind of changes and it's enlightening in your mind because you know that you're doing something for somebody, you know, that is is long-term, not just, you know, a conveyor belt coming through the practice. Yeah. So true. So true. And I, I'm a big proponent of, you know, referring out, you know, if I don't have the expertise or if they're just not responding, my responsibility to the patient is to try to give them options and find them 
people like you that that they can maybe get some answers and we can collaborate and then maybe they do come back and patients yeah. remember that and they appreciate that i had patients come to me and i tell them right you know after the first session you know what you need you're going to need surgery like i'm not going to just see you to see you because i know this is what you need right and so I think patients appreciate that. And, you know, again, it's great to have other practitioners in the community um, that we can, you know, collaborate and that I can feel confident and vice versa that, you know, that we're going to do the same. So, and it's just an honesty thing. Like I remember always trying to convince people of doing physical therapy because I had an old doctor that was a shoulder doctor and they'd get like a really bad, someone would come in with a really bad shoulder. He knew they probably needed surgery. But they didn't explain it to him, so they weren't comfortable. So then he kicked it to physical therapy. Physical therapy knew that they couldn't get that person better, but they milked 20 visits. Right. So then when I'm explaining physical therapy for a foot problem, they're like, oh, physical therapy doesn't work. Well, they were working the system, but in reality, if they were honest, the PT would have come back and said, you know, let's really discuss this further. But they're like, hey, great. I get my visits out of it without really looking at the patient and honestly saying, hey, I think this is something, you know, that is absolutely needed, um, you know, it wastes time and money all because, you know, there's just no good communication. Yeah, that's so true. Well, this has been so wonderful. Let's tell our audience um, how they can find you if they want to learn more about you. Yeah, so I'm in St. Pete, um, South Pasadena, technically. It's um 1615 Pasadena Avenue, Suite 280. It's across the parking lot from HCA, Palms of Pasadena. Um, we've got a good website. It's called alignfootandankle.com. Um, and, you know, generally I, we have ways for people to message. I often will give anyone my cell phone to kind of discuss issues. And, and that's kind of my thing is if I can give someone enough advice that they don't have to see me, I'm all about that. Um, knowing that, you know, even with that, uh, you're building trust with someone even that hasn't seen you, um, that if something was to progressively get worse, they know where to go. So, you know, on the website, there's ways to send a message through Google. You could send a message and anyone that just may even just have, you know, a perceived question that they don't know what to do. Like, I'm happy to discuss that without even coming in. Well, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And I will definitely put all your information in the show notes. And again, appreciate your time and love having you in the community. So keep doing what you're doing and getting great outcomes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Rehab Link's Secrets to Success. If you haven't already, please share this out so that more people can get access to Rehab Link's Secrets to Success. Now, if you would like to work with us and connect with my team, please go to www.rehablinksystems.com where you can find our free tools, online trainings, and many resources to help you get great clinical outcomes. We look forward to serving you. Until next time.